The cost of being a girl in the world can be deadly, as we saw recently with the death of Masa Amini, a 22-year-old Iranian woman detained by the morality police for allegedly not wearing her hijab correctly. It is the most recent case that has resurfaced the debate around gender equality everywhere. But as the protests in favor of gender rights continues, the silent death of millions of unborn girls around the world, including in this country, hasn't stopped either. There are estimates that it could be about anywhere between 700,000 illegal abortions that are, are, are killing the female, the female fetus, the female baby, in utero um, every year, up to potentially two million. It's called gendercide, or sex-selective abortion. The definition of a genocide is a systematic and methodical extermination of a certain group. And the gendercide is that systematic and methodical extermination of a gender group. While there seem to be higher rates of gendercide in Asian countries, in 2020, Canadian MP Kathy Wagenthal introduced a sex-selective abortion act. Bill C-233 in the House of Commons, a proposed law which would make it illegal for a doctor or practitioner to perform an abortion simply because of the sex of the child. My bill addresses inequality between the sexes at the earliest stages of life. Canada is a country that values equality of the sexes, and sex-selective abortion inherently denies the equal value of boys and girls. If a baby girl is unwanted simply because she's a girl, I am pleased to say that most Canadians do not believe that abortion should be an option. And yet, it was voted down. There are many reasons why unborn girls are killed each year. Dowries and the cost of raising a girl are just some of the many reasons. And while a recent report by Pew Research Center states the ratio of baby girls to boys in some areas of India is starting to slowly normalize, many advocates say, at what cost? Today on Context, Gendercide, the dangers of being a girl. Welcome to Context, I'm Maggie John. The realities around safety for women and girls in the world is startling, as you just saw. The work to protect women is so important and can be dangerous. That's why our next guest's identity has been shrouded in secrecy. I recently sat down with Lydia. We've changed her name and are withholding her identity for her security. Lydia works closely with women and girls in India. As you will hear in this conversation, the work she does is crucial as the grim realities of gendercide, abuse, and sex trafficking continue in that country for many women and girls. As Lydia says, even if a little girl is born in this world, that doesn't mean she is safe. Here's my conversation. Thank you, Lydia, for joining us today. You're most welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. Recent reports have shown that gender-based abortions are on the decline in India. Why do you think that is? Why do you think those reports say this? So there are two things to that. The first thing is that the reports that are being uh, published in the media are not true. The real reports are not coming out and the government is in India is not allowing us to map the 
out or to publish or to bring out or highlight the issues that are prevalent. And it's hiding these reports. And the second part is also do this, is that now the sex selective abortion, the laws of the sex selective abortions have become a bit tight and serious out here in India. So there can be punishments and people can um, just lose their license. Okay, so explain this to me. So the you're saying that it's not true that you're you're not seeing a decline in sex selective abortions. Yes, I am not seeing the decline, especially in the rural part of India. If you see and go into the rural part of India, I don't see a decline over there at all. Okay, but uh, but you say there um, that doesn't also mean that girls, baby girls, are not in danger in other ways besides gender uh, abortion, sex selective abortions. Baby girls are also in danger in other ways. Explain that. Yeah, baby girls are extremely in danger. Like suppose if a, through the sex selective abortion of uh, the, the, the child is born, a girl child is born, but immediately when the girl child is born out here in India, um, they put a muslin cloth on the face when the baby is a girl child is newly born and they suffocate and they kill that girl child in India, sadly. And um, if suppose the girl child survives, they are using it to sell it, to traffic the girl child, to earn money out of the girl child and sell it for child marriages or to different brothels out here in India so that they can earn money out of that girl child. Now, out here in India, there is a community that celebrates the birth of the girl child. Why? Because as soon as she hits her puberty, she is sold in the brothel of India. And she's just like 10 or 9. And she's sold in the brothels out here in India. So definitely the girl child are in danger, whether they are being given a life or they are not being given a life out here in India. Lydia, why why is this happening? Why is it that boys are more coveted than girls, not just in India, but we see this in many other countries as well? So India has this cultural problem, you know, if the girl child is born, you need to get her married and there is a lot of dowry that you need to pay and then she doesn't belong to your family and she goes to the other family. So it's, and there's a lot of money involved in the girl child. So why do you need to feed her well? Why do you need to educate her well? Why you need to give her so much? Because at the end of the day, she's going into another family. And then plus you need to give a lot of dowry for her marriages. So these are the certain cultural norms and the mindsets and in India one of the major problem is the caste system though it has been abolished and on paper it has been abolished but it is just so prevalent where the girl child is not wanted or needed at all wow how do you work Lydia closely with women and girls to keep them safe and to just remind them that they are loved and cared for one of the very factors of working along with women and girls out here in India, especially, is that they need to be heard. Their voices are not being heard. Nobody is reaching out to them and listening to them, you know, and the pain that they go through. And the second of all, that you are being subjected to violence and abuse and you're being subjected to that kind of negligence and discriminated since your childhood. And the girls and the women in India feel that this is the way of life. So, you know, you need to do a lot of counseling. So we are reaching out to them, building their resilience, you know, resilience to understand what is their identity, you know, their identity, how are they going to be free? You know, they're a free citizen of India. If they're a woman, a girl or a boy, they're a citizen of India. So we do a lot of awareness, a lot of sensitization around it. 
in the communities, in the local communities, through the local churches, reaching out to them and talking to them about it. How does faith play a role in this as well? Faith plays a very, very important role because when I talk about resilience, it's about God's resilience in their lives, you know, and um, and how God loves them equally. You know, in India, um, there is, you know, you interpret the Bible. And when you interpret the Bible or you do translation in Hindi, the entire language changes. And they say in one verse that uh, kids, children are a gift of God. And when they translate it in Hindi, they say, they only say that uh, the boy is a gift of God, you know, in one of the translation that I saw in the rural part. So, you know, how are you sensitizing the churches that through Sunday schools, through the medium of, you know, through the pulpit, how are you going to encourage the women and children, especially the girl child? Because when you see in the church now, it is around 70% of women that are coming to the churches. So we do a lot of trainings with the churches, helping the churches to understand that so that they can reach out to the local communities as well. You talk, as you said, you you counsel and talk to a lot of women. Maybe give us a few examples of uh, maybe you know cases of sex selective abortion and cases. Uh, you know, you don't have to share intimate details, but just stories that you have heard of people choosing to uh, kill their their unborn girl child because of the fact that they are girls. They're very hard stories and it's it's difficult, you know, because um, women, as I said, that they go through so much of domestic abuse in their families to abort their girl child. If they come to know it is a girl child and if they've had like the first girl child and the second girl child and if it's a third girl child and they keep producing, they're like a machine that you just need to keep producing babies till such time you don't get a boy. And um, if it's like a second girl, child and third, if they think oh, they come to know that it's a girl, the kind of abuse that the woman goes through and it's also hidden and the shame around it that the woman does not want to come out and speak out and say that their family because they'll tarnish the name of the family. And they just go through that pain and women are being, you know, they're being hit, they're being forcefully taken to abort the child or possibly they'll be given some medicines. I know a story where a girl child was born and immediately she was suffocated to death or otherwise if the girl child is born, the family waits to get them married off child marriages at the age of eight or nine to a 40 year old man. It's just not one sex selective abortion. It's not just that the abortion happens and you kill the girl child. Suppose your first question, if the girl child is born, is she still in danger? Yes, mm. she is still in danger because she goes through such different challenging situations through her life where she's being sold, trafficked, raped, sexually harassed and abused. My last question for you, Lydia, what do Canadians need to know about this issue? This issue, gender aside or sex selective abortion happens in our country as well. What do the common Canadians that are watching and listening need to know and understand about this issue? God loves children. And he said, let the children come, the kingdom belongs to them. 
and um, how we are able to just raise awareness through the churches, through the communities. You know, India's population is crazy. We have 1.3 billion population and it's just growing. And how are we able to reach to these areas, to the vulnerable areas? How are we able to support that woman who is going through that kind of situation? You know, reach out to her, be a support as a church, be a voice for her, help her to go through that pregnancy, you know, just at least help her to go through that pregnancy and not let that child be aborted. And um, once when she is able to go through that pregnancy, how we, how we as a community, as a church can come. So one of the most important factor is to have that kind of a support system, trauma counseling systems, listen to these voices, and also just raise awareness. There needs to be a lot of sensitization because women in India do not have a voice. Thank you so much for all that you do in reminding these women that they have a voice, reminding them that they are loved by God. Thank you for your time today. Some Canadians may find it surprising that sex-selective abortions, gendercide, continues to happen in this country. Conservative MP Kathy Wagenthal proposed a bill in 2020 that would ban sex-selective abortion in this country. But it was defeated in the House of Commons 248 to 82 last year. But that hasn't stopped Kathy from speaking out on this issue. Thanks for joining us today, Kathy. Good to be here, Maggie. In the aftermath of the bill, where are you now with your work on this issue? Well, at this point in time, uh, obviously I'm not moving forward at, uh, with another motion or bill on the topic, but we continue to hear a lot from Canadians uh, that are becoming more and more of the, aware of the fact that we do not have any laws in Canada around abortion. And this is something that they see as needing that in place. And why did you? Why do you think it's important to bring this issue forward? Well, because Canada is the only democratic country in the world with no parameters on abortion. Our only uh, other country in, in bed with us on this is North Korea, and that is not good company. So I think it's important that what Canadians think is the case, in that abortion is not available after the first trimester, that they find out the truth about that issue and that we make changes uh, within our, our government. Do you think Canadians are aware of the fact that sex-selective abortions continue to happen in Canada? They're more aware now since I did present the bill in the House. And uh, it became clear that with a, a major poll that was done actually at the same time across Canada, that the majority of Canadians still want access to abortion. But as they dug down with deeper questions, it became clear that they felt that this is something that they were unaware was happening, that it was legal, and they want to see a law against sex-selective abortion in Canada. Now, talk to me a little bit about that, MP Wagenthal. Like, when you were um, championing this bill and raising this bill in the House, specifically talk to me about sex-selective abortion, because I know you wanted to make it very clear that there's a separate conversation when it comes to sex-selective abortion and protecting the rights of women and of girls. Exactly, because a sex-selective abortion isn't taking place for the reasons, reasons that are given for having an abortion because of uh, inability to take care of the child or what mental health, whatever the issue is. This is simply a case 
of making a choice as to what the sex of your child will be. So you're carrying on with that pregnancy if it is the sex of the child that you choose to have. And so, of course, that is even more appalling in many ways to everyday Canadians that even are pro-choice, but realize that, no, this is inappropriate, that we should not be uh, having this kind of thing taking place when really we, we claim in Canada that we're all about equality between men and women, and yet we allow this to happen at the earliest stages of life. Do you think when people hear that, when they hear of the thousands of girls uh, in vitro that are killed every year around our world, including in our own country, simply because of the fact that they are a girl, they are girls. Does that really sink in for people or are people more focused on uh, the rights and freedoms of abortion than they are on the fact that we are killing uh, a child because of their sex? Well, like I said, a lot of times Canadians think they know because of what they may hear. Um, from their government, um, from political parties, or from uh, mainstream media. And then they find out that actually what they're assuming is not true. And I found that out actually by uh, attending a feminist class at a community college where uh, the intent was to talk to me about being a woman in politics. But when they found out I had put this bill forward, that's all they wanted to talk about. And I thought, oh boy, what is this going to be like? They were all appalled in that feminist class that these baby girls were being aborted simply because of their sex. And so I thought that was significant, that we have the opportunity here to make a change in Canada if we continue to pursue this issue and, and bring it to the forefront for Canadians. All right. Thank you again for joining us, MP Kathy Wagenthal. Thank you for your time today. You're welcome. Coming up, the Q panel weighs in. Why are the deaths of millions of unborn girls not getting the attention they deserve? And are Canadians fully aware of gendercide in this country? As we've seen throughout the show, the issue of gendercide has not gotten enough attention globally or here at home. The Q panel is back. Renee and Moira are joining us. Brian is away. So we're welcoming Andrea Senna, Director of Policy at Cardis. So we just spoke to uh, MP Kathy Wagenthal, who had introduced a private member's bill a couple of years ago to ban gendercide in this country. It was voted down. Why do you think that is, Renee? Um, <clears throat> I think that that speaks to the larger issue, again, not just of the sanctity of life, but um, the, the whole uh, grabbing onto pro-choice and, and the value of the, the individual's ability and right to make their own decision. I mean, that is enshrined in our Charter of Human Rights and Freedoms um, in this country. So that doesn't surprise me. However, an equally surprising fact is the fact that second gender um, Asian Canadian women are perhaps accessing uh, sex, you know, gender specific abortions at a rate we probably don't aren't even aware of. I mean, there are studies now that are bearing this out. And, and that I find personally alarming. Second generation Asian Canadian women. So um, I, th that is something that I think we need to, to reflect on and to, to think about. 
Andrea, you know, when I think about this topic, I mean, we just, again, just spoke to uh, Kathy Wagenthal, and she wanted to make it very clear. We know that the government, especially the Conservative uh, Party, has made it clear that they're not going to delve into the waters uh, of abortion, but wanting to set aside sex-selective abortion, gender side, and the fact that as we talk about uh, gender equality, that just questioning, shouldn't we as Canadians be concerned that girls are, are intentionally being aborted? because they are born girls or are in vitro, uh, you know, their gender is uh, female. And so how do we grapple with this? Why do you think this was voted down, Andrea? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I think, you know, in October, at kind of around this time of year, we observe Persons Day, which is um, the time where uh, women were recognized as legal persons under the law. And, you know, when we look back at Canadian history on this subject, we really see it's a, it's a, you know, two steps forward, one step back on the issue of suffrage and the expansion of universal suffrage to all Canadians, regardless of their ethnicity, their gender. It took, you know, decades for this to, to unfold um, and for us to get to the situation that we're in today. And so, you know, comparing these two issues of gender side, and suffrage, we see this question of equality comes up over and over again. And we see that historically, things have not been recognized in law that we know to be true in reality, right? The fundamental of the dignity of the human person and our equality under the law. And so I think there is um, the interplay between sort of our cultural attitudes um, along with the law is very interesting to observe, especially in this most recent case with MPU Wagenthal's bill. And I think the question to be asking ourselves is what are we doing within the culture and within our you know, spheres of influence to really model a value for the dignity of human life, regardless of someone's um, you know, gender or their, in this case for the, the case of sex selective abortion. Yeah. Let's let's stick with gender rights, though, because I you know, we are a panel full of women today. And I think this is an important part of this conversation. Moira, what are your thoughts? Is this kind of being forgotten because of, you know, the fear of delving into the abortion debate and we're ignoring the fact that there are gender rights issues involved here when it comes to gender side? Yeah, it seems to me to be a kind of sticking one's head in the sand when it comes to law and parliament. And I think there's no doubt that many MPs don't want to debate this issue for political reasons, you know, and it has shown up in the US especially. So it would happen again here in Canada. And yet it's such an important issue. It's such a divisive issue across the country that I don't know why we don't hold our MPs more to account on this particular file simply because we're talking about taking lives. And so it seems to me, why do they get to avoid this? This, I guess, reflects on our situation as voters. And you know, Maggie, I mean, I'm totally against abortion period. And so therefore it's whether one is aborting boys or girls. And so I think it really raises an interesting feminist type question when it comes to gender side. As far back as the 2004 Reproductive Technologies Act, it was very clear that pro-choice was the mantra, pro-choice was the driving force. And yet, even then, they were saying, except for sex-selective abortions. So there's a double whammy going on here, which I've never quite understood. One's either pro-choice, in which one says that, if you like, uh, you know, you can abort a child for any reason, which is actually the case in Canadian law in particular, 
I would just think at that level, there's obviously a lack of logic, but it, there's maybe a more hopeful sign, in fact, that people actually think deep down that maybe abortion really needs to be considered yet again, be evaluated. And that if a, a female child's life is that important, that she cannot be aborted, and I, of course, agree with that, then also, why not the male child too? So there are cultural overtones, I recognize that, in some of the South Asian approaches. Uh, it's carried over into North America as well in some cultures. It is cultural rather than moral, if you like, and is something that may eventually disappear. But in the meantime, it is going on. And what, what do we do about it in our society? How do we talk about abortion? Why do we not continue to point out that uh, both male and female suffer when a baby is aborted? I, it's such an ongoing question. And I think our whole country, especially parliament, really should be dealing with this. And you're right, Moira, our country still does not have a law when it comes to abortion, right? So this is still something that still needs to be grappled with and is, remains on the table. Uh, what is the church's role in this conversation? We spoke to one woman in India who ministers to women who have been forced to kill their, their baby girls uh, and also, you know, worry about sex trafficking. Even if their girl child is born, they can be, uh, you know, pulled into sex trafficking, married off at the age of nine, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And again, we're, we're not just specifically zeroing in on India. This is a global issue and it happens around our world in many other, other countries as well, unfortunately. So where is the role of the church? How do we value the life of a girl specifically? Because that's what we're talking about today. Andrea? Yeah, I think, you know, the church, the real gift of the church is the reminder of who we really are as, you know, beloved sons and daughters of God made in his image and likeness. And so I think as the church, whether it is, you know, at worship on Sundays or whether we are out in the world uh, witnessing to the faith, we must never stop in, in proclaiming what is really this good news of who we truly are and that our inherent dignity, that is at the root of a lot of these questions. And I think we must never, we must be unrelenting in, in sharing, you know, the, the most profound truth of our identity. Okay, Renee, we have less than a minute left. Your thoughts on the role of the church in this matter? I would say intercultural competency uh, is a must, uh, especially for pastors of multi-ethnic churches. I think leaders uh, and ministers need to recognize and deal with what does it mean to offer the good news in cultures that uh, deal with shame and guilt and honor very differently than in Canada. Um, so I think huge education around intercultural competency is a must um, for our pastors. And that of course will only trickle down to um, their congregations and parishioners. So well said, and you know, that's the one thing that Lydia had said that in her work that she does on the ground in India, it's reminding these women that they are valued, reminding them that they are loved. And, and the fact that the majority of people that do come to church on a Sunday, is specifically in her area of India, are women, should send a message that women hold up the church. They are leaders of the church and they need to be admonished. They need to be respected. They need to be seen as valued. Thank you again, Renee, Andrea, and Moira for your time today. Thank you. Thank you.
I think about Jesus often when I think about the dangers women face in the world today. From time immemorial, women have had to fight to exist. And yet we see in the Bible a savior that gave women a voice, countering the leaders of the day. From the woman at the well, the woman being stoned, Mary and Martha, Mary Magdalene, even Jesus's mother, Mary herself. And the list goes on. And yet in 2020 alone, a woman somewhere in the world was killed every 11 minutes by someone close to her. Genital mutilation still happens. Girls are not allowed to go to school in certain areas of the world. Human trafficking of little girls is still prevalent and gendercide still exists. Unfortunately, this list can go on as well. A sad reality that hurts my heart, therefore I can't imagine how much it hurts God's. Knowing that before a little girl sees the light of day, her future can already be determined simply because of the chromosomes she is born with. In fact, in a world where there have been so many advancements in women's rights and access, millions of little girls will never know what that really looks like. Thank you for watching. Let us know what you think of today's topic. Join the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. For all of us here, I'm Maggie John. See you next time. Thank you for your ongoing support of Crossroads, a supporter-funded nonprofit organization and member of the Canadian Centre for Christian Charities. Thanks to faithful people like you, we are able to continue producing context. You can write to Crossroads, PO Box 5100, Burlington, Ontario, L7R4M2, or visit crossroads.ca to learn more about our programs. Context Beyond the Headlines invites you to an exciting new season. This year, we're expanding our reach with a brand new podcast that will explore the interaction between faith, justice, culture, ethics, and society. As we move forward with this brand new season and the launch of this brand new podcast, would you consider partnering with Context financially? It is because of the generosity of viewers like you that we're able to continue to tell the stories that matter.